From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget appropriations reporter. And Jen, I don't think it's too much of an exaggeration to say that President Biden's entire domestic agenda faces some critical tests and and a pivotal vote next week. Senate Democrats are pushing the button on floor action to to get going on both a bipartisan infrastructure bill, about $579 billion in new spending, and the reconciliation package, this Democrat-only $3.5 trillion budget resolution that would lay the groundwork for the reconciliation package that funds almost all of Biden's agenda. That's childcare, that's education, that's paid family and medical leave and more. Uh, A lot going on. Everything could go wrong, but they're, they're gambling that now is the time to act. Yeah, and so Democrats have been sort of tying these two very different legislative packages together for a few weeks now, um, but they are going to start moving on very different pathways forward in the next few weeks. And so what Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said this week is that he wants to hold procedural votes next week on that bipartisan infrastructure package. Um to sort of get on what in Senate terms is known as the vehicle for that infrastructure package. Uh, And so essentially what that means is that when senators take that procedural vote next week, they'll essentially be voting to begin debate on a completely different bill. Um, And that then once legislative text is complete on the bipartisan infrastructure bill, that will be offered Uh, to that legislative vehicle bill uh, as an amendment. Um, And then eventually the final vote on that bipartisan infrastructure package on the Senate floor will be on the bipartisan infrastructure package. Um, But the idea next week is to kind of start setting up that process um, through that kind of procedural process that the Senate has to go through normally, which of course takes 60 votes. Right. And Schumer set Wednesday as the day for this key procedural vote. And it is just procedural, but it sort of provides a key test here as to whether enough Republicans and Democrats will still be on board to proceed with this bipartisan infrastructure plan, which no one's seen yet because it still isn't written. But Schumer's pushing ahead anyway because he's he's trying to spur this and, and get it done this month before the August recess. And, you know, him setting that Wednesday deadline for a vote really irked a lot of Republican senators uh, this week. And they were complaining that it's an artificial deadline. They don't understand why he's moving so quickly because they haven't even written the bill and that they were warning this could backfire on Democrats. Big risk here for Schumer in moving ahead that fast. And at the same time, you know, Democrats have what they're calling this two-track strategy because they're trying to push through both the bipartisan bill and their own $3.5 trillion mega package. And so Schumer also set Wednesday as the deadline for his own Senate Democrats to agree on their budget resolution. 
And a lot can go wrong there, too, because they need every single Democratic vote to get that through. Yeah, so a lot needs to happen in a very short amount of time for these two different legislative paths to advance in the Senate. Um, and so one thing we should probably point out is that Schumer's floor speech um, and his office have really enforced that he said he intends to hold those procedural votes next week. And so, you know, if it's going to be a situation where enough of the Republicans who support the framework for the bipartisan infrastructure package say that they will not vote on these procedural votes to advance to debate on the bipartisan infrastructure bill, you know, they could just hold that over. That doesn't have to happen. It's something Schumer has set as his timeline. But if that timeline slips, it's not necessarily going to torpedo the entire bipartisan infrastructure package. And so I think it's going to be really important to see whether or not that group of bipartisan senators who have been negotiating the framework with the Biden administration for uh, really months now are able to get final legislative text that all of them agree on, uh, particularly on how to pay for it, which has been one of the really challenging issues that they've been debating and trying to solve during the past few weeks since they sort of had that White House uh, ceremony to announce their sort of outline agreement. And so, you know, they need to get agreement on pay-fors for that bipartisan infrastructure plan. They need to get legislative text written. And a lot of Republicans and several Democrats want to see a score of that bill from the Congressional Budget Office. So all of those things take time. And so really the biggest challenge to meet Schumer's intended timeline for that bipartisan infrastructure package right now uh, is seeing if they can kind of check some of those boxes and what Republicans, uh, part of that 22 senator group, want before they take a procedural vote to get on a vehicle for that bipartisan infrastructure plan. Right. And then on the Democrat-only budget resolution, budget reconciliation front, you know, there's no, there's no, no one's even close to having a budget resolution text yet. And so really what Schumer is asking from his 50 Senate, Dem well, 49 other Senate Democrats technically is, you know, to get on board with this $3.5 trillion spending target for the reconciliation package, not necessarily the entire budget resolution itself, which will have, um, you know, other elements like the discretionary spending level for fiscal year 22 and things like that. And so, you know, that's going to be a challenge because some more moderate Democrats have been saying this week that, you know, they don't expect to see full final legislative text of a budget resolution to set up that reconciliation process. But I think they want a lot more than what they've heard and what they've seen so far from Senate Democratic leaders about this reconciliation target and how it would be paid for. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's worth just stepping back a minute and, and considering how much is on the line here for Biden, because they're really trying to push through his entire agenda. Uh, I mean, we're talking about big things, right? We're talking about new subsidies for childcare to get parents back to work. We're talking about added years of guaranteed public education by extending universal pre-K and, and two years of community college. We're talking about the first national uh, paid family and medical leave program for workers. We're talking about expanding Medicare to to include dental and vision benefits. I mean, there's a lot climate combating climate change with new measures. There's a lot in this package that's on the table here. 
and one misstep could sink it. Uh, there's a lot now. All of that won't be hashed out until the fall during the reconciliation bill, but any any one Democratic senator could could become a huge obstacle. And we already saw this week just how precarious it, it will be to keep Democrats unified because one of the provisions of this package calls for uh, drug pricing legislation, right? Where Medicare would be allowed to negotiate directly with drug manufacturers on the price of drugs. Democrats are counting on that to reap huge cost savings to help pay for other programs. But we heard Bob Menendez uh, from New Jersey, whose state is home to several of the world's largest drug companies, really push back on that and say he doesn't, he's not comfortable with that. He doesn't, he's not sure that those savings would be passed on to consumers. He's not signed on to a budget resolution yet. Fights like that, and there's so many of them that are going to come, um, any one of which risks sinking this package. That's what the stakes are. Yeah, this is probably a good point to in time to bring up that sort of old cliche that all politics is local. And so this is something where I know sometimes being here in Washington and in the Capitol most of the time, you know, there's Democrats and there's Republicans. But I think a lot of the time it's good to step back and remember that, you know, ultimately these, these senators and in the House of Representatives uh, represent certain areas of the country that have various various interests and sometimes vastly different goals um, from what is going to be a very broad set of issues in this reconciliation package. And one of the things that's always really important to remember with the legislative process in Washington, especially a legislative process like reconciliation, that is going to rely on Democrats in the House and Senate remaining unified on really, you know, essentially society altering legislation is that there's a lot of different interests here and there's a lot of different considerations to be made by leadership. And so, you know, they do have this broad 3.5 trillion goal. We've heard a little bit about what will be in it and what won't be in it, but really getting down to the details of even just making a more you know, intricate outline of what they want for this reconciliation package, let alone writing legislative text, is going to be a huge lift for Democratic leaders, uh, you know, including rank-and-file members of the party who have been working on some of these issues for years or decades, uh, particularly the child tax credit. Um, you know, House Appropriations Chairwoman Rosa DeLauro and Assistant Speaker Catherine Clark in the House have been working on this for a very long time and they are extremely passionate about it. And so this is going to be something that, you know, there's a lot of different policy goals among Democrats. And so how they translate that into legislative text, um, particularly the pay-fors, is going to be really challenging. Right. And of course, Republicans are ready to pounce. They vowed to oppose this reconciliation package. They say it's way too much spending and that it's already going to trigger uh, runaway inflation. We don't know. The jury's still out on that, but they're going to get absolutely no help from Republicans, which means every single Democratic vote uh, is, is crucial here. And in terms of paying for this thing, there's tons of fights still to come on that because, you know, Republican uh, Democrats aren't unified on that either. You've got moderates a little queasy about some of the tax increases. 
Biden has promised not to raise taxes on anyone making less than $400,000 a year. Uh, and then there can be glitches in that promise. We already saw this week because part of this plan uh, to fight climate change includes this, this so-called carbon border adjustment tax, right? Where you'd, you'd impose new fees on imports from countries that don't have stringent emission standards. Well, if, if you impose an import fee that, and that gets passed on to consumers, you can argue that's a tax on working families, right? That's what clearly Republicans will argue that. Democrats push back on that pretty quickly. They say, no, that's not a direct tax and you can't count that. But, but these kind of fights are going are gonna, to, could tie this thing up in knots. You can imagine all the various struggles on how to pay for this thing because Biden's still going to push to raise corporate taxes and, and close loopholes there or what Democrats would call loopholes in the corporate tax code and a more aggressive IRS enforcement that Republicans are uncomfortable with. Um, I don't know. It's a huge battle and there's, there's so much to do and there's so little time to do it. And can they assemble a budget resolution this month and get it passed through both chambers uh, to lay the groundwork for that. That alone is a struggle. Now, we should say the budget resolution doesn't have any real detail in it. So they can save a lot of these policy fights for the fall. But the budget resolution does have to agree on this $3.5 trillion number. That's over a decade. Um, and dole out to the various committees how much each of them will get, how much, what piece of the pie each committee gets. Um, to draft the reconciliation re legislation, and particularly, of course, the finance committee to figure out how much they'll have and how, how they pay for it. That's a lot of work to do in the, in the space of a few more weeks. Yeah, and to just go back to the pro budget reconciliation process for a second, uh, it's not like Republicans are completely locked out of this. Uh, in the Senate, when the budget resolution goes to the floor, they have what's referred to as a voterama. Uh, when Republicans will be able to offer dozens, I mean, they'll offer hundreds, but they'll probably bring up dozens of amendments on a broad array of topics, really pretty much anything you can think of, uh, to really kind of try to make that budget document uh, less appealing to Democrats in the House and Senate. Um, I was speaking to Budget Committee uh, Ranking Member Lindsey Graham this week and sort of, you know, asked him what he expects from that Votorama process. Uh, and he was, he sort of joked that records are meant to be broken, uh, referring sort of to the two Votoramas the Senate floor has already experienced this year. The first of which was, I think, about 15 hours. The second of which lasted almost 26 hours. Um, and so, yeah. And so his comment that records are meant to be broken uh, and, you know, unified Republican opposition to this, you know, I think there's going to be some real challenging amendments, particularly for moderate Democrats in the Senate to vote on, on this budget resolution. And then also eventually when Democrats bring that 3.5 trillion or so reconciliation package to the Senate floor, because that's done under budget reconciliation rules and procedures, there will be a second voterama uh, where Republicans in the Senate will then again get to propose amendments, propose changes, additions, things like that to that reconciliation package. And because Republicans are vehemently opposed to what Democrats are trying to do here, 
their strategy is really going to be to try to make certain elements of this less appealing to progressives and put moderate Democrats in a really challenging floor vote position on this. And so, you know, even just Democrats keeping all their members in line on drafting legislative text, they're going to face a real uh, sort of metaphorical minefield of amendments when they bring that budget reconciliation bill to the Senate floor later this year. And that's also, Jen, why this is such a tricky balancing act for Schumer, because I mean, I can't recall Maybe there have been, but I can't recall a time when it's so blatantly, on the one hand, seeking bipartisan support to get this bipartisan infrastructure bill passed, and at this almost the same time, ticking off the other party with this reconciliation push that they vehemently oppose, and they're, he's, they're trying to do both simultaneously. That's a tough message. I mean, you, you're trying to build bipartisan support and go your own way at the same time. That's really hard, uh, and it's sort of the position they've been forced to take, I, you, I guess Democrats could argue, um, but, but that's, that's a tough balancing act they're going to have to navigate here uh, in the next few weeks. Yeah, and of course, you make a really good point about how re- Democrats are really trying to do um, you know, bipartisanship and essentially partisanship at the same time. But we should just note that the budget reconciliation process is something that both parties regularly use to try to pass core um, legislative goals of theirs without the other party. And so if you remember back uh, to the first two years of the, or first year really of the Trump administration, uh, Republicans used the budget reconciliation process to attempt to repeal and replace Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. Um, or whatever else you want to refer to it as. And then they did use the budget reconciliation process to pass that 2017 Republican tax overhaul. And so, you know, you make a good point that they're doing two very different sort of legislative maneuvers right now and bipartisanship and partisanship. But Democrats using the reconciliation process to advance core legislative goals and particularly their party's executive branch goals is not necessarily out of the norm for recent times in Washington. Oh, sure. Both parties have used the reconciliation process. Some might say abused the reconciliation process to push their, their partisan priorities. Uh, that's not new, but, but it's this timing issue, doing it simultaneously with a bipartisan push that makes it doubly complicated, it seems to me. Um, so that's where we are right now. We're facing a, a pivotal vote next Wednesday. So stay tuned for that. We'll see if this bipartisan infrastructure bill gets off the ground or, or, or gets stymied right away. Uh, and we'll see if Democrats can at least claim uh, caucus unity on their own $3.5 trillion budget plan at the same time. Uh, a lot at stake, all, all kicking off next week. So stay tuned for that, and CQ and Roll Call will be covering it all for you. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. 
Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week. 